This is the Fit Roots Podcast, and I'm your host, Aidan Lee. We are focused on teaching you the best of philosophy, martial arts, health, well-being, and business. Our mission is to build modern warriors who enhance their lives through continual physical and mental evolution, and then bestow that gift onto the next generation. Today, we've got Ricky Jally joining us. Ricky is a talented director, videographer, actor, and photographer who has been working within the media industry for over five years. His company, Perfect Shop Media, provides media content for both the creative and corporate sectors. He has successfully managed to direct over four music videos that have aired on national television and a feature-length documentary that aired on TV two years ago. His main drive is his passion in being creative and always has a can-do approach when working with his clients. Ricky, welcome to the Fitness Podcast. Hey, uh, that was uh, yeah, that was emotional, mate. Uh, <laughs> How so? Yeah. I thought I don't know. I don't know. It's just there's, there's a lot going on there. So, did it take you back? <laughs> I almost feel like I should have rewritten that that biography of mine. No, nah, not at all, bro. Honestly, you've got a got an esteemed background, so um, it's good to have you. Thanks for coming on. So, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit more about yourself and how you reached where you are now so that background we've just told everyone tell us um, there. yeah okay uh so <clears throat> my passion really came from the creative arts and started at a young age uh, around about 12 12 years of age uh when i went to my first drama class um and when i was in my drama class for some reason i just felt like this was the most fun i'd ever had at school I mean, you know, as a boy at school, the most fun you're going to have is, is sports lessons, right? It's sports day or whatever, stuff like that. Um, for me, it was the drama class because then I had the ability to just be an idiot and it'd be perfectly fine. I could say whatever I want and it'd be perfectly fine as long as it's with the character, uh, within the realm of the character. Um, so for me, acting was, uh, was a, a great passion of mine. And I found that the stage was where I always wanted to be, not from an egotistical point of view, not because I wanted people to, you know, to see me on stage, but more so to entertain the audience. And I found I could do that. Um, that evolved to, uh, to film studies at an A-level, where I met my film studies teacher who then completely changed my life. Bringing the world of film to my vision, really, just explaining to me how films really work, you know, from a subconscious level. I wasn't studying film from a practical element where you just pick up a camera, you, these are the settings, these are, these are, you know, what's required to get the shot. I was learning it more from an artistic point of view and a creative point of view. Why that shot? Why that line? Why that character? Why that name? Why that costume? Why that location? Why did it have an impact on society? And there's movies that have had an impact from a social point of view, from a political point of view, from a scientific point of view, X, Y, Z. Um, so when you're studying film, you, you actually start to study a lot of things. You're not just learning how they made the film or why they made the film that way, but you're, you're understanding a bit of philosophy. You're understanding a bit of science. You're understanding why was this film uh, controversial in this country as opposed to that country. So there's an element of social studies you're taking on. Um, and then for me, my mind just expanded. From there, I then took it further into uh, you know, to university. I, then, I, I took both film and acting to university. And from that point, obviously, my, my knowledge enhanced even further um, with, you know, with film and, and how to make films from a creative and corporate point of view. And, uh, and then the acting side, I got to understand the world of abstract art, really trying to communicate with the audience without necessarily communicating 
without necessarily communicating with them in the direct way. Um, and I'll give an example, and I'll never forget this. My uh, my first theatre studies uh, or performing arts lesson at university, Oxford Brookes University, the lecturer turned around and said, right, we want you to think abstract. And what I mean by that is, uh, I'll give you an example. Imagine you've got two people on stage and they're angry with each other. Now, how would you convey that anger to the audience? And, you know, we're sitting there thinking about it, you know, we're all giving our answers. And he says, look, at GCSE level, you would have, you know, the two characters do some kind of fight. They'll wrestle each other, push each other. The acting will be pretty decent. There'll be some emotion, some shouting, X, Y, Z. You know, character A will leave character B and character B will be just there left in tears. Um, whereas A-level, you're going to strip away the, the violence, so to speak. You'll strip away the shouting, perhaps. You'll add a bit more metaphor, maybe make it a little bit more Shakespearean style. Um, you know, up the acting mode, up the intensity. And again, you'll be left with character A or B left on stage. That's all upset. Or they're both left, either way. But then he turns around and says, but if you want to make it abstract, how about both characters say nothing? They don't even look at each other. And behind them, you've got a blank canvas. And on that blank canvas, you know, these characters decide to just splash paint on that canvas. So you've got paint as a part of the performance, they're splashing paint. And by the end of the performance, you have a visual representation of their conflict. And straight away, the objection to that was, well, how would you know it's anger? And, uh, you know, the lecturer said, that's completely down to the audience. If the audience take away anger from that, that's down to them. I mean, you could splash the paint maybe a little bit aggressively, but you try and hide that and you want the image to appear aggressive to show their conflict, right, to represent that. And I'm sitting there thinking, what, so we're supposed to be splashing paints now for all, you know, for all our, uh, our performances from now for, you know, I've no idea how to, how to tackle that and how to apply that going forward, but... That's just an example of lesson one, you know? Um, and then from that point forth, you have to think outside the box. You have to really think, I say outside the box, you just have to think of different ways to convey an emotion or a message to the audience without doing it. The linear approach, you know, um, try and get them to get that emotion without making it obvious. And that transferred over to my film studies when I was starting to write scripts. I started to see deeper ways in, in, in having a script uh, uh, connect with the audience and then you know when you're watching movies now with that in mind with everything I've mentioned I, when I watch a movie now it's not the same thing I'm, I'm seeing it from many different perspectives now I don't just watch the film how I used to when I was younger but then not, none of us do we're always learning right so anytime you watch a film now from where you watched it let's say 10 years ago it's always a different lens but from my perspective I'm seeing it from the lens of what the director was trying to do what the actor was trying to do what are they trying to convey here in these subtle movements why did that line why is that dialogue there which stands out a little bit is this a good script or is it a bad script right so I'm looking at it from a different perspective and I've always loved that though my mind's always ticking whenever I'm seeing an advert on television or a TV show or a movie um, you know and then I can play a video game and a video game is like a movie now you know I'm playing a movie and I'm and I'm always thinking oh how would I do my own one you know, and, and from that point forth, you know, I left university, uh, went into sales. I won't go too far into all the stuff I did after that, but I always found myself gravitating back to this position where I wanted to be creative. And uh, so, and would you say it was this this uh, drawing back from that foundation that you learned, developed, 
from your what sounded like your first inspirational teacher to which really pulled you back yeah photography and videography again yeah I mean photography was more of a passion I picked that up as an A-level I will never say that I'm you know the most talented photographer um but my profession really more so is the directing it's it's the videography side and the photography side I have the team with me I can take pictures but I wouldn't put myself out there as the best photographer um but yeah it evolved to that to the point where I thought, well, let's make this a business. I can't just jump into making a movie, um, you know, and you can do a music video. The problem is you won't get one for the next three or four months. So you'll find that the pay might be great, but when you spread it out, it's not great at all. Um, so I expanded the business and now create, uh, cater to, um, you know, the creative and corporate sector. Awesome. Well, yeah, Ricky, for those who don't know, works uh, with myself as well. So, um, He's my hand man for uh, photography and videography and, and also he trains as one of our students at martial arts school and one-to-one. So got a great relationship and I know that Ricky really takes the theoretical side seriously. And I think that's probably, Ricky, the difference that I found um, when I've looked at other people's work. Not everyone, of course, but the vast majority. Um, this is where I think you really shine. You know, like when we did our trailer, for example, that yeah. was your forte, you know, the directing side mm. of things. What would you say the difference is between, I guess, what you do and your approach compared to the conventional one? Conventional being being what, though? Well, okay, yeah, we can define that. But <laughs> conventional being the, uh, the the standard, you know, God, I mean, I know you told me about your gripes with the industry and things like that before about, you know, everyone's just focusing on maybe doing the, the wedding stuff because it brings in the money or whatever it might be, yeah. whereas they're not really necessarily being true to the the uh, conventional, and the, sorry, to the creative side of what they truly like to express. But I feel like you've not really gone down that route because you really couldn't give up your creative side. Are you saying I couldn't go down the wedding route because I don't want to go to the creative side? Almost, because I know how much you're, you're not a huge fan of it, but um, yeah, how much um, that has allowed you to shape your, your creativity and your work. Most videographers and photographers have at some point in their life, especially creative ones, let's say most creative videographers that do music videos, documentaries, short films corporate uh, uh, traders have at least at some point in their life done a wedding. Um, it's just, I think it's, it's, it's part of the journey. Um, I'm not putting down wedding videographers or wedding photographers. I just know that's not for me. I didn't study uh, film to do weddings. Although it's interesting now that when you see weddings and you see wedding trailers, uh, that's the thing now, right? Trailers for a wedding. So, you know, that's taken straight out of the, the playbook of, of film studies, really. It's, it's, watching television it's 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 using the same kind of techniques to to convey us and tell a story to the audience mm. so it's evolving um so you could say that you know i could go back into weddings and have as much fun being creative from that perspective but it's not the direction that i would like to go and when i uh, when i work with a lot of clients and i see the previous work that they've had by other videographers i've always found that there's a, a little bit of a, a a holy trinity that a lot of videographers don't consider. And that is... What is that? From my perspective, I would say you've got to have the right music. You've got to have the right shots. And if you're going to put text in there, you've got to put it in the right, the right time. Or the so right what, is, what does that holy trinity give you? Obviously, that's what it is literally. But what do those three things give you? Well, that just gives you more of a solid, solid product at the end. That gives you the right, the right kind of feel for the audience. You want to really captivate the audience. You've got to make sure the music works. You ever watch a movie where the music doesn't fit? Yeah. That could ruin the movie, right? Music can make or break it. The right shot can make or break it. 
And if you're going to put dialogue on screen and you've got a serious film and then you suddenly put text on the screen, that's, let's say, I don't know, Comic Sans uh, text font, right? It's completely ruined the, the, the feel. So even the text itself, when you watch movies, when you see movies at the moment, you know, they're movie uh, uh, titles and posters. The font isn't something that you can just find on your laptop. It's designed specific for that film to get that feel. Everything from the ground up has to work. I mean, that's a trin- that, that holy trinity, I call it, is, you know, can expand in so many different ways. So when I was working on your trailer, for example, I mean, the, the, the key thing was to, uh, to get people aware of the brand being Fit Roots. So the obvious thing would then be as many, many shots as possible. Let's get Fit Roots out there. But you don't just cover the whole, you know, health and fitness sector. You're, you're also trying to go in from a holistic approach. You're, you're trying to also cover the, the, um, uh, the fundamental element of, uh, of nutrients and what people can eat and diet and stuff like that. So dietary requirements and, uh, and you're doing philosophy as well. So we wanted to capture that and put that within the trailer, but it has to flow. Because when you think about that, okay, so I want a, I want a trailer that's going to, you know, advertise my gym product, so to speak. Um, I do health and fitness, I do philosophy, and I and also do nutrition. Now, philosophy sticks out in that sentence. Philosophy sticks out. But now let's figure out a way to bring that in so it makes sense. Right? So, you know, you've got to then find a flow, create a storyboard, Make sure it all, it all fits together so no one then looks at that train and go, hold on, that sticks out and that doesn't make sense to me. You want them to go, oh, that does make sense. And that's unique. It's a unique selling point for you as well. But then you want the right music to flow in with that, to tell that story because the music below. So it's, it's almost like a boat that's just taking you there nicely on a, on a, on a gentle tide, really. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'm with you because otherwise it would make a disjointed scene and a too too many complex things not really intertwining with one another so that's that's really important i just want to also touch on the point you brought up earlier about teachers uh, yeah. and people who taught you yeah. how important were those people to you and it sounds like your first one was particularly- um, my film studies teacher was the most influential person for me uh oh, for my creativity because up until that point i mean you know you can say my first drama lesson was was very influential if anything if it wasn't for that i wouldn't be here so you could almost argue that that was the most important moment for me from a creative uh, output point of view but that it wasn't the teacher it was the lesson it was the freedom of the lesson i've had many different drama teachers and it's just the freedom of, of expressing myself which is great my film studies teacher opened my mind as, as far as that's the best way to or the best way to just describe it my film studies teacher taught me how to see the world in a different way and how people, how you can communicate to the world through film, through the subconscious mind. And I'll, 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 I'll give an example. Um, so a lot of people have seen the movie Independence Day, right? So imagine this, this is my first lesson, right? Film studies lesson with a guy called David Keir at Windsor College. Uh, we watched Gladiator and then we watched Independence Day. That was our first lesson, right? Two movies back to back. I was like, oh, I'm loving this. This is easy. Um, then he turns around and he's asking us, okay, so what's, uh, you know, what's the movies about? And we'll stick to Independence Day. What's the movies about? Okay, cool, right. An easy one. Yeah, aliens come down and take over and we need to fight them back. It's just taking on external threats. All right, cool. Anything else? And we sit there and we're thinking about it. All right, well, the obvious one is uh, American patriotism, right? It's all about America and how America 
can actually save the world. Yes, America. And you can see that in the last shot. Because in the last shot, when the mothership goes down, you see a shot in India, and you see a shot in like Russia or something. You see a shot around the world where people are standing up and giving a standing ovation to America. It's just basically saying, America, you're great. And it's filmed for American independence, American, you know, independence day. That's great. Okay, cool. And we're sitting there thinking, right, we've read into this film. This makes sense. And then he turns around and he says, what if I told you that the film is actually also about male dominance over women? What if I also told you, you know, you can take a look at the four main characters. You've got uh, Jeff Goldblum, who's this environmentalist, who's not quite taken seriously. You know, at that point in time, an environmentalist wasn't seen as a manly thing. You know, he's riding his bike. He's, you know, drinking out of little plastic cups or something. He doesn't smoke. And then you've got a president who's not really taken seriously. He's lost his wife. You've got this uh, homeless character who, again, isn't taken seriously. Um, and then you've got Will Smith, whose wife's a stripper. Um, and then all of a sudden, these four characters, they turn it around completely. The president gets on the plane. You know, he fights for, you know, for the country. You've got the homeless character who sacrifices himself. Uh, you've got Jeff Goldblum, who ends up smoking a cigar at the end, right? Because, uh, you know, that's what it means to be a man, right? Supposedly. Um, and then you've got Will Smith, who is a key figurehead in taking the fight to the, uh, uh, to the mothership. Now, I said male dominance here, because at the moment, all you're seeing is four men that have now found their alpha traits, so to speak. But the male dominance here is the reference to the mothership. It's a female. Um, you know, when the fat lady sings... Uh, the small spaceship goes into the mothership and then leaves the, sh- uh, the mothership and the mothership explodes. And that's meant to be symbolic of sperm entering the egg, but deciding to leave, believe it or not. Now, you may feel that that's reading into the text because I thought that at the time. I was like, yeah, that's maybe you're looking too far into it. But the script writers actually designed for it to be that way. And when you actually realize that they meant for that, then you understand that there's actually a subconscious communication going on here. And then I was just like, mind blown. <laughs> I couldn't see movies the same way. Now, that being said, not every film has subtext. Not every film is there to try and, you know, have a, a, a labyrinth way of, you know, being dissected to communicate and convey different messages. They're not all like that. But the ones that are, are revered and stand the test of time generally have more than one way you can read the film. That's, you've got to take that into account. The majority of films that have stood the test of time have more than one way that it can be viewed. Well, well, yeah, I didn't know that about Independence Day, so that's a great insight. I've yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. watched it, but um, yeah, obviously I hadn't known the particulars about the script, so that's an interesting insight. So to sum- summarise that, I guess you're saying is your teacher allowed you to see things without the veil and take away the mask that was probably hiding the, the true nature of what the film is really trying to portray. Yeah, you could say that. You could definitely say that. You could summarize it just like that. My film studies teacher showed me a different way that you could see, watch a movie. And at first, that may seem like a simple thing, but for me, it changed my thought process entirely. And uh, on that note as well then, would, what would you say is the, the value that a good teacher can provide? Oh, it's invaluable. Because a teacher can... Um, can effectively influence your entire life. That, that one positive experience has put me to this position where I am at today, where 
you know, I'm proud to say that I, I am a director, I'm a photographer, I'm a videographer and an actor. Um, and that is through my experiences, but my film studies teacher is very responsible for the film side of it. You know, my desire then to want to tell stories from the stage to the screen is purely down to him. Um, and uh, up until that point, I wouldn't have known what my passion was. I mean, I knew it was acting at that point, but then I had other passions and who knows where I could have ended up. So that solidified things for me. And so, yeah. Yeah, nice. And that's as teachers should. They, uh, they bring out, they nurture what is maybe latent within you. So mm. that's really interesting to hear. So with uh, the above in mind, obviously you've got to where you are now, <clears throat> excuse me, through your teachers and through yourself and through your own journey. But what are your goals going forward? So you could say short term, maybe one, three, and then maybe a bit longer term, five years, both business and personal. What are your goals? I think the personal one will be the easiest one to answer. Um, personally, obviously, I was always want to get healthier and fitter, or I want to get back into health and fitness, as you know. Um, that would be a, a personal goal. I want to travel more. I find that traveling really helps, um, you know, give you a, a wide range of cultures and, um, and knowledge out there. You get a real sense of, you know, different lifestyles and, um, it can be very, uh, very dangerous when you just stay in one place for most of your life because um, it doesn't help open and expand the mind really. And uh, I feel like being narrow-minded is, is one of the biggest problems out there. So for me personally, I like to keep myself active and, and, and keep myself, you know, exploring. So I would like to get healthier, fitter and travel more. That's an easy one. Um, Business-wise, I mean, ideally... I could just say I want to expand, right? I want to get a, a bigger team and I want to have bigger projects and I want to get to a point where I'm directing my own TV show or acting in a TV show. Um, I want to pursue my passions further where, you know, my career and my passions are, are one and the same. You know, I wake up with a smile on my face to go to work. I mean, I've, I, I said earlier on, I, went, I, I, I worked in sales. I didn't go too far into it, but every job I've had, I've eventually got to that point, whether it be two months, four months, six months down the line, I wake up and I don't want to go to work. Not because the work is hard, just because it's, it's killing my soul. And the people there could be great. And in most cases, the people have been great. But um, it's just not for me. It's never been for me. So I know that my, my future in terms of business has to be linked to what I'm, I'm passionate about. It has to be. And it's a, it's a longer path because it's more stimulating and you have more options. Whereas, you know, if you're in a job, which may be a little bit dead end, but as you say, the people may be okay, but where can you really go? If you're hitting a ceiling and it's not what you want to do, hmm. especially you, you're so creative. It's, uh, it's hard to limit that. Problem is though, when you're, when you're working in your passion, you, I find for myself that I agree with you. There's, there's more options. There's more opportunity, especially when you work for yourself. Almost anything can be an opportunity. Um, but you can also find that you have limiting beliefs at the same time because you're, you're working on something you're so passionate about. But if it doesn't work, it, uh, it almost deters you. So you almost then convince yourself not to do something before you could do it because you don't want it to see it. You don't want it not to work. Yeah. I mean, I've worked on your trailer. Now, you've already said earlier on that I've, I've released a documentary that made its project television. That was a project that had zero planning, zero budget. I was thrown in the deep end for that. I managed to get the project, you know, but 
I was thrown in the deep end there. I didn't know what I was going to be able to do, what I was going to be able to create out of this. And, uh, and when I created that, you know, managed to get it on television, that for me was a proud moment because then I could say, yes, I'm a director. But then when I go to doing your trailer about a year later, I'm still having limiting beliefs as to whether I could do the trailer. And I've come to a point where I realized that, you know, that's just the fear of, of not wanting to fail because my passions and my work are the same thing. There's, you know, no, there's no separation between them. Yeah, there's no separation. Now, if the you work is separate, then you could almost, I would probably approach it differently, you know. But that being said, I'm not trying to say that's where I want to go. That's just the only, the only thing I find is when your work is your passion, you're that much more afraid for it not to work. So why is that? I, I completely agree with you, but I'm obviously I'm I'm the same. We've both experienced that at some point in our business ventures, particularly because as you say, there's no detachment between passion and work and there's no middle line. There's no, you know, as some people say, work life balance. You know, part of me I think it's just bullshit. It doesn't really exist. But you can have a good quality of life, but at the same time when when it's constantly in your mind, you don't want to do anything else but evolve and get better. Mm. So with that in mind, why is that the case for you? Um, because I know deep down at this stage of my life, um, I can't see me doing anything else. So if it didn't work, I wouldn't quite know what else I'd want to do. I wouldn't want to go to a job that I know I would inevitably want to leave. You know, it's madness going into a working environment, knowing you don't really want to be there. And I've got a lot of people in my life that are more than happy to put in the hours to get the money for tomorrow when they don't even know if tomorrow's going to come. And I find that mad. I, I don't get that. You want to save up for, for a rainy day, then you're waiting for a rainy day. You want to save up for a wedding or for a house or for a fast car. You're telling yourself you're only going to be satisfied once you get that fast car, once you get that wedding, once you get that house, right? And for me, it's like, well, what, what about from now until then? Oh, but I'm going to put in the hours. I'm going to put in the hours. Because all the hours you're putting in, the nine to fives for argument's sake, you're not enjoying that. And that's most of your day. And by the time you get home, you haven't got time to have fun with all your friends or, or whatever it is you want to do because most people, are, you know, they're, they're living the same lifestyle. They're just, they're going to stay, stay at home or they're going to go out on the weekend and that's it. And people are living for the weekend. I just find, well, I'm, I'm speaking for, uh, purely from my own circle here. The majority of my friends are like that. Um, for me, I, I, I think it's important to work in a field that you enjoy and and uh, and that's important but in my case what i enjoy is my passion and that's my life so if that doesn't work anything other than that is just uh, a substitute it's not worth it is it yeah it's not it's just not worth it yeah. and that's the that's that's the fear mm. yeah and i can completely agree with what you're saying i'm the same i'd you know i'd rather be broke and die than go back to um working a job again and i just think what's the yeah. point you know I don't see the point. suicidal tendency way but just in the sense that well if I can't fulfill my purpose or I don't want to, then I'd rather not uh, do anything for anyone else. You know, it's either this or nothing mm. until maybe there was another passion that came along. So yeah, if anything, you, you, in some ways in this respect, particularly that all or nothing attitude, it has to be that. But then obviously on the flip side, as you say, if it doesn't work, then you've got that nothing which comes out of it, but mm. it can work. And as you are proving it too. So that's a really good insight. So tell us the time, Ricky, uh, a story, if you like, of a time in your journey when you experienced an aha moment of realization. That's such a broad question. <laughs> a what question? 
that question is tough. I mean, what kind of aha moment are we talking about? So whichever, whatever comes to your mind, whichever is the most significant and prominent for you. Wow, I wouldn't even know where to begin on that. Other than what I've already mentioned, because what I've mentioned to you were, were aha moments with regards to drama and film. Um, where am I going to go with this? So you say those two were the, what you've already mentioned were probably the most prominent, is that what you're thinking? They're the ones that come straight back to mind, and I feel like I'm going to end up repeating myself. So I'm going to try That's... and find a different moment. Um, no need to find one for the sake of it, but if you really feel those were the most prominent, then... That's absolutely fine. Just stick with those. No need to repeat, obviously. But mm-hmm. with you, obviously, if there were such strong lessons and, uh, and realizations, then if anything, that just further cements what we've just talked about you going along this path to uh, to where you want to be. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, that's, that's fine. I mean, there's a many. I, I can think of one now uh, that's still related to the film. Um, my documentary was uh, was following a gentleman called Paul Spence, uh, a gentleman who uh, who'd been attacked at a bar. And, uh, and had suffered brain damage, lost his memories, uh, lost his connection with the outside world, um, rehabilitated and, uh, and got himself to the point where he decided to run four marathons in four days around Ibiza. And I was with him in Ibiza to, uh, to capture that. So upon completion you know, of, that, of that project and getting it on television, I got a few emails from people who had also suffered brain damage. And they emailed me personally thanking me for this documentary because it had given them that inspiration. I mean, obviously, the real thanks is to Paul himself because he's, he's a real hero of the story. But my part in that was bringing his story to the audience and getting it on television. And there was people from around the country that had seen that and had emailed me. And for me, that was a, a reaffirming aha moment that I am doing the right thing. I'm in the right place. I've made a difference. I've done my form of entertaining the audience, so to speak. So, yeah, I could add that to the mix. I, I think that's a yeah, massive one because I was going to go into the documentary shortly because, mm. you know, you mentioned it, touched on it earlier as well, the fact that you literally had, there was hardly any budget for it. There was not really much in the way of preparation and you mm. still managed to somehow make it on TV. Yeah. So that goes to show that obviously the story was so powerful and, you know, needed to be heard, if you like, that mm. it was, one, accepted onto TV in the first place and two, yeah. resonated with all those people who have tried to connect with you since. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say that it's, that it's, you know, BBC standard documentary, but then those documentaries always have a lot of planning and a lot of budget. Um, this was literally just on-the-go guerrilla-style filmmaking. I'm, I've got a camera in my hand, and I'm just trying to make a story out of a guy that's running a marathon around, you know, four marathons around Ibiza. How do I make this work? And uh, at the time, um, Paul, who the documentary is about, only wanted me to, to film him run past the finish lines, you know, and get to checkpoints and, and post it on Facebook for him. Or he would post it on Facebook, but I'd just, you know, create the little video. And I thought, well, what's the point of that? Oh, yeah, I've got to appease my sponsors and, and show my, my, my audience, you know, that I'm doing it because they're sponsoring me and supporting me. I'm like, well, that's great, but there's no need for me. You don't need me for that. That was my first meeting with him on the phone. I told him, you don't need me then. Because if you want me, let's make a story and get this to an audience that don't know anything about you. How about I come to you uh, 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 about three or four days before we go to Ibiza and I get some interviews with your family and then I can try and make a story and then we can show you going to Ibiza and hopefully you'll succeed, which you did. Um, 
you know, that I'm, I'm giving away the story now. And, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll see a celebration, right? And, but, you know, if I can get some interviews with, like, say, the doctors or people that treated you, you know, your fitness instructor, and they can really talk about what you're in and, and get any footage of what you, you used to look like and, and what your lifestyle was like before to what it is now, we can tell a story here. And, uh, and Paul was like, yeah, great. I want you. That was it. All in, the same, all in the same conversation. You know, thankfully, I had a few people that managed to get that phone call happen in the first place, but it was me that secured that. And when I secured that, you know, I found myself in a position where, right, I need to plan this. But one thing that I didn't take into account is, as I've said, Paul has suffered brain damage. He didn't want to think creatively about the documentary. He just wanted to leave it in my hands. And uh, so I found myself working with someone who, who at the same time had a tunnel vision on what he needed to do and couldn't really then um, multitask in that moment and think about me. So I just had to follow him around and press record and capture whatever I can, however I can, suggest doing a few shots again in terms of interviews, X, Y, Z. I wouldn't ask him to do a marathon again. Um, and then make a story, right? So, yeah, for me, that, that was one of the biggest challenges because, uh, because there was nothing involved. It's the, it's, the, it's the equivalent of me saying to you, you know, you being the, the qualified instructor that you are, you know, we, we go on holiday and I go, right, that's it. Let's just open a gym here right now. Let's go. Let's just do it now. We, we have, hardly have any cash, but let's create a Fit Roots headquarters right here and let's make it work. We've got three months. Oh, and by the way, I can't help you with the planning anymore. I'm going to go, you know, but I'm around, right? It's, a, it's one of them ones. You know, you just got to now work with what you have and hope for the best. Bit of a chaos, isn't it? A chaotic yeah. environment. So well, all chaos, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, look, considering the circumstances and what you managed to do, you know, you can only say, well, fair play at the very least. And if anything, that's an understatement. But what did that teach you about, one, I guess, the whole process of going from not having a documentary on TV to getting one on TV, but also considering it was basically bootstrapped? You know, what did, those, what did that teach you about those things? Well, it teach me. Oh, it taught me even more. If anything, it gave me more confidence in what I'm doing. It gave me more reassurance that I know what I'm doing or, or I have more, more of an idea of what I'm doing um, and I'm in the right place for it. You know, now I just need that project that has the right budget and has the team to help with the planning and, and now let's see what I can do, right? You know, because I've done this with none of that. So, you know, it, it puts me in that position where I can say that. When you get a documentary or you get any kind of TV show on television, I mean it's very different from a music video. And I've explained this to many people before you can get a music video on television. You, and I don't want to put down music video directors out there, but it's very different to getting a, a TV show or a documentary on television because getting a music video on television, you just got to pass certain standards for that particular uh, channel. And then you've got to pay them and they'll spin that video X amount of times, provided it meets their criteria, whatever that criteria may be. Um, but with regards to a TV show or a documentary, they pay you. That's the difference. And that's because they will take a look at it and they see if it's worth putting on their television you know, channel with you know, the, dem the demographics and the audience that they have. And they will choose to advertise it at a certain time and air it at a certain time based on how many people are watching. My documentary aired um, at 10 p.m. on a Saturday. So that was a very good time for a documentary to be aired. So for me, it was a, it was, it was a, 
a testament to to uh, you know how good they felt the documentary was, and then that proved to me, or it proved to other people that I know what I'm doing. Yeah, so I, I, I can see exactly why, and you know, experiencing that put you in that position. Um, before we move on from this, is there a place where people can find this documentary online? Uh, it's Paul Spence running to recovery. Uh, I believe it should be available on YouTube now. It was on the official community channel uh, YouTube space, but they have now moved forward. So it should be with the Paul um, uh, 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 website, which is uh, Paul's charity um, for brain injury uh, patients. So you can always check it out. What's it called? The charity? It's uh, it's called Paul. Oh, okay. but the reason why he's called it up himself is is it actually stands for for a few things it's positivity uh awareness understanding and love and that's what he felt were the 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 key ingredients to help bring him back nice okay so if you just search paul charity it'll come up yeah 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 yeah. cool all right that sounds good so moving on from that those topics ricky i want to discuss a little bit about your relationship with health well-being and how that relates to to your business and your progress and success could you tell us a little bit about that so your perception and experience of your own health and well-being and how that relates to your business and success well in my world obviously being being a a videographer a photographer and an actor you're always on your feet and you're always on your toes and uh and with acting you've got to be healthy you've got to you've got to be in good shape i say that i mean you can it's plenty of actors that are not in good shape. And there's plenty of videographers and photographers that are not in good shape. And for me, I find that uh, very stressful because if you're, not, if you're not in shape and you're always on your toes, it just adds more stress. And I've had a, a string of times in my life where I've not focused on my health. And I find that my day gets harder to get through when I'm filming throughout. My passion still remains, but I'm finding it is more of a struggle physically. Um, so, you know, health and fitness is, uh, is binary really, in my, in my opinion, with, with my working environment, if I'm not healthy physically, then mentally it affects my approach and it also has a more of a strain on my day. So that will be the link. Yeah, I can see that. And I've seen that in you as well, when you've, uh, had those waxing and waning of, uh, looking after yourself when you haven't in relation to your work. So it's interesting how that reflects. So what advice would you give to those entrepreneurs and men out there who maybe are struggling with trying to create that relationship that you have mm. or that you're trying to improve on? I would say that you've got to link training to a part of your success. Don't link it or don't put it in a separate box, much like your diet. So if you, if you look at your diet, a lot of people put diet to something separate to training, but you know that's not. It's the same thing. Right? The fuel you put in your body is going to have a big impact on your training, right? And, of course, it's going to have a big impact on how your body is then formed through your training. So you've got to then look, with that logic in mind, you've got to now look at your diet as a part of your training. So if you couldn't train that day but you ate well, that's as good as saying I've trained. It's the same thing, right? Now, if you can accept, but that doesn't mean that's it. Don't train and just eat healthy. I mean, you can just eat healthy and you'll still be healthier, right? But if you eat healthy and train, even better. And now you bring that to work, you're working even better. You're, you're more efficient. And if you're not a business entrepreneur and your, your, your goal is to be successful, 
you've got to link that. You've got to link them all together. They've got to all be in one. And if you can link those three things, your diet, your health, your fitness, and your business in the same category, that would be the best way of going forward, in my opinion. Yeah, I can see that link is, is massive. And one of the big links that I see a lot of men, especially busy entrepreneurs, professionals, whatever, don't do is they think, oh, I'll do it when I get the time. Or as you touched on earlier, I'll do that when I've got the money. I'll do X when I've got Y. Where in reality, if you truly understand wealth, as you're saying, and as you're implying, health, true health is wealth rather than wealth leading to health. Look after your health first, and then the rest yeah. will follow. But with yeah. that in mind, going forward, so maybe whether it be yourself or others who are struggling to put that in, if they've made that conceptual change to say, right, okay, I need to put that first rather than last, or I'll do that later. What are some simple things you've done and implemented, whether it be habits, uh, strategies that maybe people listening to this can learn from? Mm, uh, that's a tricky one. Cause in my, in my world, I mean, uh, I used to be a tennis coach, which you know, but we haven't touched on that. Um, you know, so as I was growing up, um, sports was always a part of my life uh, as much as acting was sports was as well and tennis was my was my second passion so for me when I'm not being active for a certain period of time I can feel the difference but if we were going to speak to someone who was already lazy from the start that's a tricky one right because you're going to need them to do a, a, a few workouts for them to get that aha moment that eureka moment that 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 euphoric moment that happy hormone, right? Where they suddenly feel the difference in their day. They have a better uh, night's sleep and they feel more productive when they're more amped up in the morning. You're going to need to get them to that point first. If you're already naturally sporty or you have been sporty in your life, then I almost feel like this is a no-brainer. You just don't now say, oh, I used to be sporty when I was a kid because your body's growing no matter what. And at the end of the day, the older you get, the harder things become. And that's just the way it is. Um, you know, but it doesn't have to be hard if you take good care of yourself. And I've got to a point where I thought, yeah, I've been fit and that's cool. And now I can just maintain and eat semi-healthy. And then the older I got, the harder it became, the harder it became. And, you know, this first time I came to see you, I had all kinds of problems from, you know, strength and mobility, uh, flexibility and range of movement. Uh, there was a lot of things that I had to now work on. Um, and I was embarrassed because I was sitting there thinking, I was really sporty a few years back, but that's the, that's the problem, right? You've got to realize that the body always needs to move. We're always constantly moving. This planet's moving. This universe is moving. Galaxy's moving. We, we've got to be constantly moving. We have to be. Um, our heart's constantly beating, so you need to keep it healthy. And as annoying as that sounds, and it is at first, it ends up repaying you in kind. Simple. And you just got to have faith in that because across the board you can't give an example of someone that stays fit and healthy and it didn't work out for them just don't overtrain i'm mean, not going to look at the examples of people that went too far and then gave themselves a heart attack we're talking about <laughs> doing it in a healthy healthy amount um training across the board cannot be bad for you it just can't be you know your body is the one thing that's going to be left at the end of the day so you need that yeah all the money aside all the resources aside the only resource really we have is time if we can extend our quality of life and <clears throat> and length of life with greater health rather than wealth mm. that money will come back tenfold and as you say i think um if you have a more bigger importance on health the roi even in a business sense will increase tenfold 
even myself, when I'm not focused on my health, I know business suffers. When I focus on my health, it gets better. So mm. surprise, surprise, it's not just some correlation. There's definitely a causation. Yeah. So, good. And that's with your talking about health and fitness generally. Obviously, you do martial arts with us as well. But tell us a little bit about your, and I know you've done some stuff before as well, but your journey and learning in martial arts, because I know that was something you, as you were talking about earlier, struggling to, with the mobility and the flexibility and the movements and the fitness, how that has helped you, shaped you, or your perceptions of martial arts in general. Be interesting to hear your insight and especially how you've related it to uh, film in the past with me, personally. Um, with martial arts, um I mean, as a man, and I'm going to say stereotypically, so I'm not, you know, or speaking just really for myself, as a man, you know, you, I always wanted to be cool at martial arts. I want to know that I could go into a room with 10 guys and kick ass, right? Which isn't going to happen. Um, but it's nice to know you can take care of yourself. I think that's just a, 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 I think that's just something for myself as a man I'd like. I'm not going to speak across the board. I know in this politically correct world, it's, you know, I've got to be careful with those words. Don't be PC, uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, for me, martial arts and training itself roots you to being in the present moment. And there's nothing more important than that. Because when you're thinking about business, you're always thinking ahead of the present moment. You can be in the present moment, but then you're always thinking ahead of the present moment. You're always thinking ahead of the present moment because you're trying to think of the future. Just like your health and fitness, you're thinking of where you want to be. So you're working towards that. But when you are training in that moment in time, the pain is very real. You can't disconnect from it. And when you're fighting someone and you're training against someone who's, who's a, a better standard than you or not a better standard than you, you still know there's a possibility you can get hit. Now, in this world, you know we've seen, we've seen fights on television where you... You've, you've seen the greatest sports upsets, right? Or you've seen a, a fighter who should have won that fight that didn't win that fight because the other guy got lucky or the other girl got lucky. Um, so we live in a world where anything can happen within any moment. So you've got to be present. It's, you've got to be in the present moment. And martial arts does that. And I find that, that nothing does it better than that. The martial arts is, and training itself keeps you in that moment because you can't disconnect. If you're fighting someone, you can't disconnect. You can't overthink it. You've got to be in the present moment. You've got to be reading their movements. And you've got to be aware of yourself. And you've got to adjust and adapt within that moment. You can't, you can't go ahead and you can't be in the past. You get hit and it hurts, but the fight's still going on. You've got to carry on. And that's something I've always, always appreciated about martial arts, that it, it roots you to that, keeps you present. And that, for me, is what I find is the most important and fascinating thing about fighting, which is why I can see the art form in it. Although I don't live and breathe it, I don't. Um, I, I, I passionately watch from the sides when it comes to fights on television, um, you know, and I get involved from a training perspective. I don't really have the intention to, to compete, you know, and grade to a certain standard and then open my own school or kick ass, whatever. I just like to know I can take care of myself, but I love the fact that when I'm training and I'm coming to class, I'm in that moment. I can't be disconnected. But I can go to a meeting tomorrow about a project you know, a big project and I'll be there, but I'll also be thinking about other stuff related to that project and things to do tomorrow for it. I'm always somewhere else. I'm never always in the present moment and training in martial arts does that. Yeah. And if you do enough of it or you, whether it be meditation, martial arts or whatever, it allows you to take that presentness you're experiencing in that moment to other parts of your life. And 
I've seen it in, in yourself and myself sometimes, you know, you have a stressful day, a bad day, but you know when you're going in there to train in martial arts in particular, if you're not focused, it's not like certain certain other types of training where you can kind of cruise along and, you know, not worry about if you're not fully present. Mm. But as you say, if you've got, especially if you're sparring or something, you've got someone coming at you, fine, don't be present, but be you could be prepared to get hit in the face. Yeah, of course. If you're not, if you're not present, you get punished. Yeah. And no one wants to get hit, right? You don't go into the fight wanting to get hit. And then the moment you do get hit, you'll realize you don't want to get hit. I mean, you don't see a fight where someone wants to get hit and all they do is allow you to keep hitting them. They'll want to get hit to get mad to hit you back. Fine. You can see psychos like that, but they still need that reaction to then be present. Yeah, exactly. Some of the dodgy ones take the hits to roll themselves up, as you say. But um, And also the other points about you know, being able to defend yourself, as you say, you're not someone who's going to be uh, competing and doing this as a, as a business like I am, but that's not necessary. The point is, as you say, you, you're taking those lessons over to the rest of your life, experiencing the other benefits and the byproducts that come with that. And arguably, as a, as a man, if you can't defend yourself and others around you, I know it's a little bit on PC, as you say, but surely that's one of the um, prerequisites of being a man, as, as Hobbes says, self-preservation. If you can't look after yourself, what else can you really do? Yeah, agreed. Cool. So that's really interesting. You've always, the discussions we've had about martial arts and stuff, I know, like I said, you don't have to be a black belt or a pro, but that same insight you've taken from film, I know you've applied very well to martial arts and hence why, I know it was because your tennis coaching background as well, but you also definitely learn at a quicker pace than I saw in a lot of other students, but also taught at a better way or in a better approach than many others did as well and I'm sure that's down to your teaching experience too but it's yeah, just yeah. also not just that it's the way you look at it you see the concepts what they are rather than just oh this is a punch or this is a kick mm. cool that's really interesting so thank you so moving on the topic obviously you're an expert in is you know you're directing things like that but why is this important to you and others why uh well I mean Okay, so from, from my view, everyone I've ever met um, loves music or movies or TV shows. They may not love all three, but they will love at least one of them. Art is, is a part of us all. It's within our cultures, within our, it defines us in a way. We, we use art to express our views, our emotions, uh, our opinions. And film is one of those powerful tools. It's just another form of art and expression. For me, that is me expressing myself or expressing and conveying someone else's message and bringing it out to a wider audience. For me, film is one of the most powerful tools to getting a message across. I mean, the television itself was one of the greatest inventions in terms of advertising, you know, um, and when you take a look at the majority of people in the country, the majority of people in the country will at least have, have a television, right? Or have watched a TV show of some kind. So I find that, you know, we all, as a form of escapism or a form of entertainment, go back to these things, whether that be listening to music, watching a movie or a TV show. Um, so it's the access to, to, to conveying and getting that message across, whatever that message may be, or entertaining the audience. It, it could just be something as small as that, entertaining the audience. For me, film has been the greatest tool to do that. 
the best tool to do that. And there's so much you can do with film now. I mean, you've got films that are set out in space and they can look as weird. You know, you've got, you can have a film anywhere. The imagination now is the only limit with, uh, with what you can do with movies. Um, so I find that fascinating because you've got all kinds of films out there that have all kinds of meanings and hidden layers to them and they can spark debate. And, uh, and then, you know, you're in a room with people that have different views and opinions. And before you know it, you're sharing a moment in time because of this one movie. You know, I went to watch the Infinity Wars recently. I'm not going to give away any spoilers. Best film I've seen in the God knows how long. And I'm there, you know, with, with, a, with a group of friends and we're all from different backgrounds. And then we're having a massive discussion about the film and our views on it and what we took away from it, what we thought was cool and what we didn't like, if there was anything we didn't like, which wasn't the case. Um, you know, before you know it, though, I'm having that discussion with my other group of friends when I get back home that I know have also seen the film. And then before you know it, I'm having a mini discussion on Facebook about it. And, and you know, we're not just talking about what's so cool. We're now talking about, you know, what it, what it meant for us and... And this is just, this is a comic book film we're talking about, which is layered. There's so many layers to it. And, uh, and that's what a movie can do. It can, it can bring people together and then you can share opinions. And then before you know it, you get, you get an idea of that person through their view of this film. And that's what I find fascinating. Just like um, I'm assuming in your world, you know, you can only truly know a person when you fight them, right? You've heard that expression many a times and you can agree with that. See, with me, I don't resonate and, and, and live that, that life. I don't live that life. So for me, it's I know a person when I get to understand what kind of films they like. I get to have an idea of what they're about. I get to have a bit of an idea of how they think and then we can have a discussion about the films that they like and the films that they don't like. And yeah. if I know, I'm getting an idea of them, right? Exactly. Good analogy because regardless of which expertise you are, coming from film yourself martial arts health fitness whatever myself mm. you know those parallels are still the same we just look into a different realm and through a different sphere maybe but yeah. obviously you've had the ability <clears throat> to use both of them as a cross-section sometimes you can use the martial arts sometimes you go back to your real forte film obviously i can't do the same in film but i can still appreciate you know that that difference in view which is interesting on the health and well-being industry in general ricky i'd love to hear what your thoughts are on it uh, my thoughts generally, um, it's interesting because we all want to move towards the health side, but then we're always being constantly reminded how the country isn't healthy at all. Um, you know, it's an interesting one. I think health and well-being is something that needs to, it needs to change its approach. Um, I don't know how I can really tackle this because I'm kind of just thinking on the spot on that one. But I would say that instead of just talking about the, the benefits of training, people need to experience the benefits of training. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, training can be for free. You know, you can just go for, for a 20-minute brisk walk a day, which they used to say was healthy for you. You just did that. You've got access to, to YouTube. I mean, you're going to be now spinning out videos on your YouTube channel with all kinds of exercise routines. So people can do these things at the comfort of their own home. There's no excuses. It's your own body. It's your own life. This is your own experience. And, you know, instead of people telling you you need to do it, and this is, you know, you need to experience it. So I think it needs to be sold as an experience. People need to sell health and well-being like yourself as an experience. And what you're doing is obviously you're bringing philosophy into this 
um, and you bring in nutrition into this. So you're finding, with the philosophy, we'll talk about that in a second, but you're finding multiple ways of tackling that and giving that person that experience. So they can start with the, with the nutrition, they can start with the diet, and then they can apply that to the training and suddenly realize that after week, you know, after week two, their training is easier now because their diet is taking effect. But then you bring the philosophy in and that alters their mind state. This is what you do specifically with yourself, which is why I train with you. Because you bring in an, a, a different element now where you're trying to also get them to realize that it's all here. It all starts here. You know, and a lot of people are just like, you want to train, you want to know how to fight, you want to do this, you want to defend yourself, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you've got to do it so you can live a longer life or whatever. And some people just don't want to hear that because they've been hearing it all the time. And we live in an age now where there's just so, so much bullshit spoken about on the news and on the internet and the access to information and fake news and X, Y, Z. There's so many distractions and, 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 and the issues with making money and housing, you know, all the, all the stresses that people go through in life. People almost don't want to train anymore. But training was one of the best ways of, of actually controlling yourself and getting that and, 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 and venting that out, right? It is brilliant, but a lot of people have gone away from that because what's the cheapest things to buy now in terms of food? It's the fast foods, right? It's the food that's not good for you. It's interesting how the healthy ones are now more, the healthier foods are more expensive. So there's a deterrent, there's a natural deterrent. And people need to now go, that needs to flip. That needs to turn around. In an ideal world, the fast foods should be more expensive because, well, I mean, it's, it's made in, in a horrific way. You know, people have had to, you know, sell their souls to get this food to you, you know, the way that they kill the animals, for example. Um, and then, you know, it's given to you fast, right? So you should pay more for it because you're getting, you're getting something that is unethical and quick, right? And the healthy foods, on the other hand, is cheaper. Now, if we live in a world like that, that would be a lot easier, but we don't. So... You know, we've got to work with what we have. And I think that people need to sell the experience, as I've said. You need to find a way for people to get the experience of being healthy. And if you can give that to them in a bite size, which you're doing, um, you know, and I find that you do that because you, you, when I come to your sessions, there's, a, there's, an, there's an attempt to also alter your mind state and link that mind state to the training. Our last training session, you we were talking about the limiting beliefs we can have. You're using philosophy in that. Um, Plato, right? You're bringing Plato into this and, and talking about, you know, limiting mind state and, and the shackles and being in a cave and linking that to training. You know, we all have that. You know, when I'm training and my stamina isn't that high, I start to have limiting beliefs of what I can now do. If you're saying, right, now you've got to do 20 roundhouse kicks on this pad and I'm already drained, I'm telling myself, oh, I'm going to drain out by seven. I'm giving myself a limiting belief, right? But we've already had the discussion, funnily enough, beforehand. So now I'm, 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 I'm now aware of the limiting belief and, and the shackles and the cave I've created because we've already had that discussion. So then I'm walking away with a different mindset and it's the mindset. And I, I personally feel that's the main thing. So that's what I think from my opinion, but I'm not as well versed in that world as you are, for example, but that's what I would think. Yeah. And, and many, many key points you've raised, but you don't have to be as well versed. I mean, the main thing is you are experiencing it, which is the main thing. And, and what a perspective you've just, uh, you've just shared there because, as you say, it's an experience, or it should be at least, uh, given and received and committed to as an experience. A couple of distinctions you make, I think one of them you actually just make subconsciously now, is just using the word training. A lot of people say, I'm going for a workout or I'm going to do a session. No, it's, it's training. There's a massive difference. You're training your body, you're training your mind, 
you are committed to this as part of your process, as part of your path, rather than a workout as a single standalone session. So even just the, you could argue, yes, yeah, semantics and syntax or whatever, but it's about how it's programmed into your mind, as you're saying. Yeah. And um, yeah, so many, so many key points. But if it's sold as an experience and people realize that and they enjoy it, on top mm. of that and they as you say they're bringing in the right parts of philosophy and it doesn't have to be in martial arts it could be even general strength training whatever it might be people will have a much higher commitment level to these kinds of things so yeah it's like but, one of my mates that does weight training what does he say what does he say when he does his sessions like, I've, got, I've got my gains today or something like that i've got my gains what do they say with these weight trainers when they've done that some get, yeah some gains get your yes, gains yeah. right or something like that you know you've gained something today and that mentality is interesting because now you walk away having done your, your, you know, your reps, you know, pushing weights, gaining something. So you've, you've, you've walked away psychologically now knowing you've got something. So, yeah, like I said earlier on, if you could change the word training to, I don't know, I'm upgrading myself today. I'm just throwing something out there. But psychologically, that's more exciting. Right, I'm upgrading. I'm improving myself. I, I don't know something else, but saying I'm training at the moment, the word to a lot of people that I don't like to train has a negative connotation. I'm not it's saying training is a bad word, right? Mm. So, so many people they love that word, but the people that you're trying to attack that don't want to train, that word has already got has a negative uh, 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 connotation, right? A negative association. Yeah, so it's painful. Train. It's it's stressful. It's uh, why do I want to do that rather than exactly. what's it going to give me? So yeah, I'm with you. I can completely understand that. Moving on, last few sort of more quick fire questions, Ricky, is mm. more related to men in particular. Okay. What issues do you see that men should be thinking about, if any? Um, I think from my perspective, men generally across the board want to think about the future too much and money uh, and, you know, just being financially secure. But I think that really kind of goes across the board for a lot of people. So sticking it still to men, I think it's this whole rat race of being successful and, uh, and being in the present moment. Being in the present moment is more important. Um, I think men, generally speaking, we all like to, to be able to be prepared for obstacles that may come our way because um, we, we naturally like to be problem solvers. You know, we hear a problem and we want to create a solution, right? Um, and then we do that systematically for our own selves and our own lives. And, and we live in a country where you can't really have a good quality life unless you have the money. I'm not saying that money buys you happiness. I'm just saying that you, you, we live in a, in a world or we live in a country where money is needed for you to get from point A to point B. Simple. But then when you have that in mind, a lot of people are thinking in the future constantly. It's just, where's my hustle at? I've got to figure out ways to make more money here, 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 here. And then before you know it, you've reached a certain age and you've just lost all those years not having as much fun, not doing as much with that time. Yeah, and as, as it said, money is in or money is bestowed upon one in direct proportion to the value that they bestow upon others. So if you're providing little value, no surprise if we haven't got any of it. Um, but the more we provide, eventually more will come, but not in some cliche woo-woo way. But as you say, if you just focus purely on the wealth attainment and creation, it's going to be particularly hard, especially if your field is not something, for example, just purely financial like us. We're doing something a little bit more arbitrary where the money yeah. has to come as a result of the value we provide. Yeah, agreed. Awesome. So 
What advice then do you have for the younger generation of boys who are, if you like, coming into uh, being a man and also those young men? Jeez, what advice do I have for those people? Um, that's an interesting one because from my perspective, I'm in the media world uh, and I see, you know, the biggest influence on people, the younger generation right now is social media. And I fortunately grew up in a time where it didn't exist, but then when it did exist, I was still young enough to benefit from that. So social media came out when I was at university. Facebook was first spread around university, right? Uh, at Harvard, I believe. Then it went to prestigious universities and then it spread out to other universities. It wasn't open to the public. And I was at university when it was then accessible, right? So I got to take advantage of that and then see it grow uh, amongst many other social media apps, but I've seen the influence it's had. So, you know, from my lens, um, what I've noticed is social media creates a virtual world of yourself, a virtual image of yourself. I mean, forget the image of yourself that's actually there, but a lot of people advertise themselves to be, let's say, more popular or more successful or more in the know and more with it or so to speak, or more trendy, whatever it is than what they actually are. And in doing so, you're no longer living for yourself. You're living for other people. I got to a point where I'd put a post up on Facebook and if I wasn't getting enough likes, it used to annoy me. Um, now I'm at a stage in my life where my social media is private and it's just for me. I don't need, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not justified or, or, or verified by, by the likes of others. Um, and it actually is a lot more stress. It's a lot. It's a lot less stressful for me. Uh, or it's a lot more stressful. Is what I was about to say. Um, so I think for the younger generation, they need to take into account that you know, you want to live for yourself. You want to have a, a better idea of what it is you want to do. Uh, health and fitness is mandatory because the moment you start getting older, you don't want to cross that bridge when you get there. I've got family members who've got all kinds of health problems because they didn't live a healthy life. Um, I think we all could have a member of the family that's like that. So we live in a world where the signs are there. You just don't want to ignore them. Um, so as long as you're taking care of your health and fitness, the rest should take care of itself. Yeah. And if you're always looking for validation outside of you, of course, it's never going to build up your self-esteem. So No, never, never. I know people that have Facebook and they use it as a platform for you know massaging their own egos or their own ulterior motives or, or agendas and for me it's like that's not going to get that's not going to get you any happiness it's not um but you can convince yourself and you can convince the world it will mm. um but when you disconnect from that and you realize that the only people whose opinions actually matter are the ones that actually do care and the rest they're just cannon fodder it doesn't matter yeah exactly build yourself and, and whatever you you want and the rest will come mm. last question then and interesting as you watched uh the uh Infinity marvel Wars. comic film recently yeah is uh if i asked your closest friends family what your superpower is what would it be if you were to ask them what mine is mm. uh, it would have to be on being creative would have to be I wouldn't call it a superpower but that's a bit too much but um, being creative uh, I would say it has to be that and, and communicating communicating with people awesome kind cool. of there, sorry but that, that's cool I, I think yeah that is you're, you're big big on uh, effective 
and the efficient communication. So I've experienced that, and as even uh, some of our fellow students have, and obviously your clients. So I can completely see that. Before we wrap up, uh, Ricky, is there anything else you want to mention? Uh, things you're working on, or whatever it might be at the moment? Um, no, unfortunately, when it comes to projects I'm working on, I can't talk about them until they're done. That's the nature of the beast. Um, you know, uh, if there's anyone out there that wants to join the team <laughs> from my filming team, by all means, get in touch. I got no problem. I am looking to expand. Um, and if you want any uh, any any creative content from myself, get in touch. I do I do all kinds of things. If you want photography or videography, great. That's me plugging myself. Right? Um, yeah, but that's all I would say then from a selfish point of view. Um, but yeah, um, stay tuned. And uh, and I would advise uh, coming to your classes. And that's not just me saying it because I'm on your podcast. I would say, I would seriously say, calm down because Aiden likes to have an approach where he wants to get to understand you. He wants to get to know you from a personal point of view. And then he will create a training that is bespoke for you, but it covers many different angles. It's not just training. It is really, it is, as I said earlier, it's, it is like you're upgrading yourself. You are changing your mind state. You are changing your diet and you are training to what it is you want to get the results you're looking for. Um, so it's a very bespoke approach and, and we all, all as individuals would love to feel that when we go into a shop or go into any environment we're taken care of someone is taking care of us you know, if you wanted to get your suit tailored is that, is that, um, that comfort in, in that person taking your measurements and your personal details and all those things as opposed to you know, them just I'll write it down here and I'll just get it done for you, you know, it's that feeling of, of that attention to detail that you'll get so that's what i would suggest give it a go awesome well i appreciate you uh, plugging myself as well as yourself so, <laughs> thanks for uh, sharing how you do things but also how we do things and how that's affected you but last thing before we wrap up ricky where can people find you so what's your website social media and things like that yeah it's perfectshopmedia.com um social uh, the social sites for perfect shop media at this stage don't exist i've decided to I don't use them platforms anymore. I want to keep it more professional for the creative and corporates. It's the website. Contact me on the website. Um, by all means, there is a contact me page at the end. Um, otherwise, you can go and try and follow me on Facebook. It's Rakesh K. Jali. That's my real name. Ricky's my nickname. <laughs> but um, by all means, give it a go. And yeah, I look forward to hearing from any of you guys uh, if you want to work together or if you have any opinions. Awesome. How do you spell Rakesh K. Jali, just in case anyone wants so to So it's a that's R-A-K-E-S-H. K is the obvious one. And then Charlie's surname, J-H-A-L-L-I. Cool. I'll put your links in the show notes. But other than that, Ricky, I just want to say thank you very much for being on here today, uh, for your time and for the lessons that you've shared with us. And as we say here at FitRoots, uh, thank you for joining us in Building Modern Warriors. I'll see you all soon. Thank you.